Okay, Chuck Wilson, New Hope Community Church, and here we go. We're on the seventh trumpet in Revelation 11, 14 to 19, the seventh trumpet. This is going to be a short little sermon. It's kind of connecting. It's connecting verse 14, as we'll see pivots from the two witnesses to some very scary stuff. So this is a little, I couldn't fit it on either end. It just fits by itself, but this will be a shorter one, okay? Uh, so they just found some new Dead Sea Scrolls. I don't know if you've been following the news, and I read this article. There's lots of great articles on it. New Dead Sea Scroll fragments found remind us of God's coming judgment by Michael Snyder in the Economic Collapse blog. But a real interesting perspective. I've been reading a lot about the scrolls, but I just love his perspective on this. He says, We just witnessed one of the most exciting archaeological discoveries in decades. For the first time in 60 years, new Dead Sea Scroll fragments have been discovered. Picture. All right. they were recovered from the cave where the Jewish rebels against the Roman Empire had hid about 1,900 years ago. It's not easy to get to. They had the, the archaeologists and scientists had to scale down a, a sheer cliff hundreds of feet in order to get them. They um, ended up in the Cave of Horrors. The Cave of Horrors. Uh, not because they found the, the Raiders of the Lost Ark, the, the Ark of the Covenant with the scary, scary angels inside. No, no, it's because they were, this is where they found 40 skeletons back there in the 1960s when they did excavations. This is where they apparently buried the dead people. 40 skeletons were found in this cave of horrors and they also found some more Dead Sea Scrolls, some fragments. The first fragment, there's two, there's lots of fragments, but two I want to specifically look at. The one is Zechariah 8, 16 to 17, where it says, and this is what it says in that, in the book, these are the things you are to do. Speak the truth to one another, render true and perfect justice in your gates, and do not I must say again, render true and perfect judge justice in your gates and do not contrive evil against one another and do not love perjury because all these, those are the things I hate, declares the Lord. Hmm. We definitely do not render, he says, render true and perfect justice and we love to contrive evil and so we're doing the exact opposite about what we are instructed to do in this passage. You know, per, true and perfect justice, like the social justice movement that that is pro-abortion, killing, a, murdering a baby. We're seeing this very thing happen in the USA today, right? We don't render true and perfect justice. No, it's not biblical justice. It's a counterfeit, lying, delusional justice. The other scroll fragments that were found come from Nahum 1, 5, and 6. The mountains quake because of him, and the hills melt. The earth heaves before him, the world and all that dwells therein. Who can, who can stand before his wrath? Who can resist his fury? His anger pours out like fire and rocks are shattered because of him. These verses describe God's judgment, he points out. And throughout the scriptures, we're told that if we follow, I'm just going to read it, what he says here. It's really good. If we follow God's ways and keep his commandments, we'll be blessed. But if we reject his ways and commandments, we will be cursed. Obviously, America has chosen the latter. And if we stay on this path, our story is not going to end well. Could it be possible that these Dead Sea Scroll fragments were hidden away for all these centuries just to be revealed at such a time as this? Yes. Yes, that's very, very possible. They they remind us of God's coming judgment. And we're going to see that these prophecies that we just saw, the Dead Sea Scroll fragments, we're going to see that these prophecies are ultimately fulfilled in Revelation 11. That's what we're going to look at today. Revelation 11. Let's pray. 
Father, we just pray that we would hear, that we would respond, that, Lord, even if the rest of the world, the rest of our country doesn't listen, that we will be found righteous. We will be found following true justice, biblical justice, your justice, God. And, Lord, I just pray that that we would escape the judgment. No matter what happens to this world, we would escape the judgment because we have put our faith in Jesus Christ and we're living for him. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, here we go. We're going to look at the seventh trumpet today. And the seventh trumpet we're going to see as we move forward is going to dump seven more judgments, seven bowl judgments, seven bowls of wrath, God's wrath, seven bowls are going to, this trumpet is going to set off seven more, all right, and this, and this, this we're going to see is the worst yet, this is it, this is it, from, from here on it will be like a roller coaster, you know when you ride a roller coaster, you go chuck, 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 up to the top of the, the roller coaster, you get to the top of that really massive hill, you finally get up there and you look it over the cliff and all of a sudden, whoosh, down you go. You know, ah! You're not allowed to scream anymore because you could spread COVID. But anyway, uh, that, that's actually a rule. Uh, any, anywho, uh, you hit the top, you hit the pause, you hurtle down. This is what we are going to see now. That seventh trumpet sets, where sends us screaming down the roller coaster of judgment. Interesting possibility. The seventh judgment. Interesting possibility. We can't be dogmatic on it, but this is a very interesting possibility that this last trumpet in Revelation 7 is referring to a mid-tribulation, pre-wrath rapture. It's possible because, the well, look at the seventh trumpet talked about in the New Testament in just a moment, but it's very possible that this is where the rapture will happen. This is mid-tribulation, pre-wrath, before God's wrath really pours out. The rapture could happen here. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 15, in 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, listen to what it says. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. So that's the last talking about the last trumpet. The last trumpet we can find in the book of Revelation is right here, the seventh trumpet. So very possible, Not some people believe pre-tribulation rapture, some believe post-tribulation. Very possible that this is talking about a mid-tribulation, pre-wrath position. And that's a really strong possibility. In fact, in, back in Revelation chapter 10, verse 7, a little bit of connection point with that. We already looked at this verse. Chapter, 7, chapter 10, verse 7, where it says, But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished just as he announced to his servants the, pro- the prophets. The mystery. See the connection with 1 Corinthians 15, 51 and 52. See that very, very interesting <clears throat> connection and possibilities. Once again, we can't be dogmatic on any of the positions, but woo, that's very, very, that's, that's pretty interesting, right? Uh, so anyway, back to Revelation. We're going to do Revelation 11, verse 14 to 19. Okay, the seventh trumpet. The second woe has passed. The third woe is coming soon. That's the pivot, verse 14, from the the two witnesses to the seventh trumpet. Verse 15, the seventh angel sounded his trumpet, and there were loud voices in heaven which said, The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. And the twenty-four elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were 
angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints and those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. Then God's temple in heaven was opened and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant and there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake and a great hailstorm. Woo, we're going to have fun with this one even though it's short little passage today. We're going to have fun with this. Verse 14, the second woe has passed, the third woe is coming and the third woe is the seventh trumpet. We see that in verse 15. The seventh angel sounded his trumpet and there were loud, vo- there were loud voices in heaven which said, the kingdom... The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. Now, this is actually not happening on earth yet. Not happening on earth yet. We still have lots of revelation to go. Several more, half the book really to go. Uh, but, but this is the heavenly perspective. This is the prophetic heavenly perspective because it, it's not happening on earth yet, but they're, uh, they're treating it like it was in heaven. It's already a fact to them. You see, the heavenly perspective is always different from the earthly perspective. Always. Heaven's perspective, very different. We here on earth see a job loss. Heaven sees God leading in a new direction. We see death. We see somebody dying. Heaven sees a perfected saint. And notice it says the saints here in Revelation 11. Everyone who puts their faith in Jesus Christ is a saint. There's no special class. It says here, anyone who has put their faith in Jesus Christ is a saint. He said, uh, verse 18, and your saints and those who reverence your name. We're all, we, we're either a saint or we're not. We're either going to heaven or we're not. But if you're going into heaven, you're, you are a saint. Okay? Uh, let's see here. The earth sees the, you know, death. We, heaven sees the death of a saint. We see an economic mess. Heaven sees a chance for revival. We see the coronavirus craziness and all that has entailed for us. Heaven sees God's prophetic warning. God's prophetic warning to get, to be prepared. Get ready. Be prepared. We see an endless struggle and temptation and trials. Heaven sees Philemon 1.6 being fulfilled in our life, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. That's what God sees. God sees that God sees us being completed, completed in Christ Jesus. Verses 16 to 18, back to Revelation 11. And the 24 elders who were seated on their thrones before God fell on their faces and worshipped God, saying, We give thanks to you, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets, and your saints. And those who reverence your name, both small and great, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. The heavenly response, the heavenly response to what's going to happen. It's going to be a horrible on earth. There won't be you know, responding, no worship, no excitement, no positive vibes, no nothing on earth. Uh, but, but the heavenly response is worship. On earth there's a rebellion going on and it's going to hit its climax here, we're going to see. But in heaven there is worship. Thank you, God. You're finally ending this mess. 
God's going to rule now. He's going to become the president. He's going to take over. He's going to show who the true supreme court is. There's only one justice sitting on it. Uh, he's going to now he, finally ending this mess. It says here in, in Revelation that nations were angry. They're angry. It will culminate in Armageddon. They're going to come against God and try to stand up to him and against Jesus Christ in Armageddon. Psalm, Psalm 2, read chapter 2. You see the very thing happening uh, prophetically with David. Uh, it says he's also going to judge the dead and reward the Christians. The saints are going to judge the dead, reward the Christians, and he's going to destroy those who destroy the earth. Destroy those who destroy the earth. In this age of environmental worship, people are going to be in for quite a shock. Many of those most committed to stopping global warming are going to find out that they were actually the ones contributing to it. Not just because they're flying their private jets and don't get me started. You know, you know oh, these people who claim there's, you're going to stop global warming, got to stop global warming, got to change your life. Flying their private jets, celebrities, politicians, royalty. They're just hypocrites. Anyway, but many of those most committed to stopping global warming are actually bringing it on. Not just, not by flying their jets, although that's, Bad pollution. Private jets fly, fly the first, fly first class. If you have to be that special, right? Uh, you can still fly in a normal airplane. But, but they're actually bringing it on because the worst pollution is moral pollution. Listen, the Bible shows very clearly the earth is not going to be destroyed by global warming because of pollution. We should not pollute because we're Christians and we should, we should be good stewards of the earth. We should do our best. But we don't make a religion of it and we're not hypocrites about it like the other side. Uh, and we're, and we, and we're not uh, we don't go overboard, you know, like, you know, like crazy, you know, because stop living life, you know, get rid of all of our cows because they, they have gas, you know, it's crazy what's going on out there. Uh, it's, it's crazy, but, but the worst pollution is moral pollution. That is what's going to ultimately cook this earth. It's not going to be pollution, uh, you know, from cars or anything else. It's going to be moral pollution. This is what's going to happen. You hear about carbon footprints and you don't want to leave a carbon footprint. Except, well, I'm not even going to go there. They're such hypocrites. But sin is the real impact. Sin is the real footprint. Sin is what is going to impact this earth more than all else combined, and that's what's going to destroy the earth. The peop very people who claim they're against, you know, destroying the earth, they're destroying it morally, which is going to bring God's judgment, and it's going to completely wipe this earth out. Fire, the flood of fire, just like the flood of water with Noah. There's going to be a flood of fire. Second Peter three. Uh, we've been talking about this, right? Then, after saying this, we get a glimpse of heaven in verse 19. Then God's temple in heaven was open, and within his temple was seen the ark of his covenant, and there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, an earthquake, and great hailstones. Uh, we get a glimpse of heaven. All hell is going to break loose. All hell is going to break loose. Hailstones, huge hailstones going to come flying, along with lightning, thunder, and an earthquake. Temple, the temple is opened. They, we saw that the earthly one last time, we saw the earthly temple is going to be rebuilt. The third temple is going to be rebuilt in Jerusalem there, uh, last week. But that temple on earth has a, a counterpart in heaven. The true temple is in heaven. What we see on earth is always just a model of what is in heaven. There's God's true temple. The original is in heaven. And John sees the sees the temple, sees it open, and he sees the ark, it says here. He sees the ark. Now, 
now we know where the Ark really is, right? Uh, not in the Raiders movies, not tucked away in some, you know, U.S. warehouse. Uh, Ark, and it's not where our archaeologists every so often say, we found the Ark, we found the Ark, and it turns out to be a hoax over and over again. It was last seen in Second Chronicles 35.3. We don't know what happened after that. Did Nebuchadnezzar destroy it? Very likely. Uh, did Jeremiah hide it in Mount Sinai? That, which is the Jewish tradition, he hid it in Mount Sinai. Possibly, but you would think it would have come out in time for the second temple, but there's no ark in the second temple. We're not sure, but we know that the original is housed in the temple in heaven. That's where it is. But the surprising thing here is that John can see it. Why is that surprising that John can see it? Because originally, only the high priest could see the ark of the covenant. Only the high priest could see it once a year. <laughs> and he had a rope tied around his ankle in case he was struck dead for going in there in an unworthy way. Uh, only once a year. But why can John see it now? Why can everybody in heaven see it now? Why? Because the sacrifice has been made. The blood of Jesus Christ has been sprinkled on the mercy seat, on that throne there. The curtain was torn. Now we all have access to the Ark of the Covenant, to the Holies of Holy. We can all come into God's presence now. As Christians, the moment you put your faith in Jesus Christ, we now have access to God's throne, to fellowship with God. There's no more blood to be sprinkled. It's already been sprinkled. It's the blood of Jesus Christ once for all. Doesn't have to keep happening every week and you got to take it to, to get salvation. No, 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 no. Hebrews, once for all, once for all, once for all. Read the book of Hebrews. You can't get around it. Once for all. It's done. Jesus said it is finished. There's nothing more that can be done. We now have access to God's throne. We don't have to go through a confessional booth. We don't have to go through a priest. We don't have to jump through religious rituals, any hoops. No, no. We can go right to God. Every one of us individually. Individually. That doesn't mean it doesn't help sometimes to talk to your priest and, and share your struggles. And that's okay, but, but you don't have to do that to get to God. It's good to talk to me as a pastor, you know, but you don't have to come through me. You can go right to God. Right to God. And once again, I'm not saying it isn't good. Uh, I help lots of people. Sometimes it just helps. The Bible says, confess your sins one to another. It helps to confess and to wrestle and have, have someone help us wrestle through getting our freedom. But, but we can, we don't have to. We can go right to God. Right to God. Hebrews 4, 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. We can come right into the throne of God through His Son, Jesus Christ, who has made the way, our great high priest, the God-man, the Son of God. We can come right to God the Father through Him, right to the throne, the throne of grace to find mercy, which is forgiveness, and grace, which is help to keep on fighting. No matter what we've done, we can come right again to that throne and, and we can fellowship with Him anytime. But, but coming for mercy and grace, mercy and grace. I pray a thousand times a day, mercy and grace. Mercy and grace. Forgive me and help me. Forgive me and help me. Mercy and grace. That, that, is, that, is, that is, should be like breathing for us. Do you, are you taking advantage 
of the coming to the throne and fellowship with God and confession and, and purifying and, and being strengthened for the battles that we fight. And, and maybe you're listening to me and you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ. You can't come to the throne. No, 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 no. You can't come. Uh, crispy critters. You know, you, you cannot come before God now or ever until you put your faith in Jesus Christ. You must come through Jesus Christ. You can put your faith in Jesus Christ and come to God the Father right now. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you will believe in Jesus, not intellectual, the word in Greek means faith. It means to completely put your trust in, your dependence in Jesus Christ. It means to ask Jesus to forgive your sin because he died on the cross for our sins. To forgive that sin and, and we put our faith in what he did on that cross and what he did through the resurrection to give us a new life. We put our faith in him for forgiveness and for a brand new life. Have you done that? The moment you do, you can come into God's presence as your Father, as your Father, and find mercy and grace every day, all day long, anytime, day or night. Let's pray. As we go to this time of prayer, how is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? Maybe you're listening to this and you're not a saint yet. You've never... Put your faith in Jesus Christ. You've never given your life to Him. But you can do that now. You don't need any religious person or religious rituals. You can do that right now. It's between you and God, a prayer of faith. The simple but powerful prayer of faith. Simple prayer. God, I repent of anything in my life that goes against your word or your will for me, I repent. I ask you to forgive me because I'm putting my faith in Jesus Christ. I'm putting my faith in your one and only Son, Jesus. I'm putting my faith in His death on the cross for me to pay for my sin. I'm putting my faith in His resurrection from the dead, trusting Him to give me a brand new life. Whoever believes in Him shall not perish, but have eternal life. I'm putting my trust in Jesus to give me a brand new life now that will go on forever. I give my life to Jesus. If you have prayed that prayer of faith, Something amazing has happened. The Spirit of God has come into your heart. And now you can come before God at any time. God the Father at any time. Through His Son, Jesus Christ. Because you have the Spirit within you. You have God's Spirit inside of you. You can come through Jesus. Through the Holy Spirit's power. You can come before God for mercy and grace. For anything. Anytime. Are we doing that as Christians? Are we taking advantage of that? Are we fellowshipping? Are we being, becoming 
perfected saints? Are we preparing for what is coming on this earth? Are we prepared? We're going to need God's mercy and grace to go through what's coming soon. But it starts now. We all have life's trials and tribulations. Father, I pray that every one of us would put our faith in Jesus Christ and would live by that faith and would, would, would know your mercy and grace on a daily basis. I pray no matter what somebody is struggling with right this moment, they would crawl before your throne begging for your mercy and grace and experience your power in an amazing way. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have put your faith in Christ, I want to encourage you to tell somebody. You have a friend or family member or somebody at work or someone praying for you. But if you don't have anybody, email me, nhcc at comcast.net and I will be excited for you and I will help you get connected and grow a Bible study, church, something, okay? All right, so put on your seatbelts because here we go. We are coming down the roller coaster next time. All right, God bless.